Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. We are recording and releasing this podcast on April 1st, April Fool's Day. And if ever there was a sports betting headline that sounded like it was a lame April Fool's joke, it has to be the news earlier this week that DraftKings is entering into a partnership with WWE. A sports betting company partnering up with a company that rebranded itself sports entertainment some 30 years ago to avoid being regulated like a sport. Uh, John, did you do a double take when you saw this press release hit your inbox? Uh, And I have to ask you, John, the Bergen beast, Brennan, what would your finishing move have been if you'd been a wrestler? Uh, well, I once had to fill in for the high school wrestling writer on a busy Saturday, geez, back in the 80s, because he and his wife and all right, mostly his wife were having a baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> guy, gave me, yeah, guy gave me a list of wrestling terms. And for some reason, the only one I remember is the fireman's carry. Mm. Uh, maybe because my father was a New York City firefighter for 40 years. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I think I can kind of guess. I'm not sure if they use it in WWE, though. But also, <laughs> I want to be the Bergen Bruiser, a bit like the Manassas Smaller. Okay, that's fair. I I can make you the Bergen Bruiser. That still works. Uh, And yeah, the fireman's carry is used in pro wrestling, but it's it's one of those moves that maybe back in the 70s, it was a finisher. Now it's uh, ever since then, it's just a a, a minor setup move. But uh, the finishing move that I always thought was kind of lame was the Stone Cold Stunner, of course, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's finisher. It was a lame move, but it was easy to execute. Uh, didn't take great athleticism or effort. So that would probably be mine, uh, especially now with my bad back. I need a, I need a finishing move that's low impact uh, on the guy delivering it. Uh, yeah. But uh, in any case, I would say don't count on DraftKings or any other regulated sports book offering WWE betting anytime soon. This is just a, a branding opportunity. And, you know, they'll run free-to-play WWE pools, uh, but you aren't going to be able to bet real money on a result that one man behind the curtain has the power to change an hour before showtime. Uh, I don't think there are enough integrity fees in the world to make WWE results legit. Yeah, I, I do want to say something about WWE, even though I don't follow it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that WrestleMania thing came to the Meadowlands five or six years ago. And, right. you know, I've covered press conferences over the decades, obviously for every major sport, Super Bowls, World Series, NBA, NHL finals, U.S. Opens and golf and tennis, World Cup soccer. I mean, you name it. And who runs the smoothest show of all? The WWE does. Their media savviness takes a backseat to nobody. I remember John Cena, who they told me is a wrestler and who now apparently is grappling with acting. Um he had all the time in the world, even for the smallest radio station reporter. I mean, every extra soundbite sells another ticket and all that. You know, because so DraftKings is a business, so is WWE. It probably works for both of them, and that's business, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, John Cena, not just grappling with acting, but starring in The Suicide Squad, edited by one Fred Raskin. So there you go. It's all, <laughs> yeah, all full nice. circle. <laughs> all right thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 136 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 135 episodes they're all available on spreaker apple Podcasts, and spotify please subscribe give us a five-star rating and climb all the way to the top rope and drop a glowing review on us
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Tom Cunningham of VegasInsiders.com. He's going to help us preview the Major League Baseball season that's finally here. Uh, we'll get Tom's takes on the betting impact of the supposed dejuicing of the baseballs we're talking about, the outrageously high win total for the Dodgers, and some notable player props, too. But first, it's been a sort of busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. The WWE partnership wasn't the only news DraftKings made this week. The sports betting and daily fantasy giant also made waves by purchasing the Vegas Sports Information Network, or VEASAN, for a rumored but not confirmed price of about $100 million. VEASAN is a media company covering the sports betting world via audio and video shows, founded in 2017 by Brian Musburger, the nephew of Brent Musburger and had built up a strong reputation as a place to turn for sports betting information and opinions. But there's some question as to whether the content and credibility will suffer now that an operator owns the media outlet. The press release insisted VEASAN will maintain, quote, editorial independence, but not everyone believes that. Our friend Captain Jack Andrews, a top sports better, tweeted immediately that he'd be canceling his subscription to VEASAN. Of course, we can't know yet if the product will be compromised. Certainly, there are plenty of partnerships between sportsbooks and media outlets, such as FoxBet and the Fox Sports Programming and PointsBet and the NBC Sports Network. So what do you think, John? Is DraftKings buying VEASAN likely a problem, or is this good news for VEASAN as they should have more money behind their operation now? Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. You know, I'm not a business person by any means, but the amount of money spent there versus the amount of revenue coming in always struck me as uh, possibly an uphill battle, at least to this point. But the network has gathered a loyal following, so there's something there. Um, you know, as it happens, I just had a conversation the other day with a key gaming industry leader, and I laid out for him how I do my job, which is the same way I did it at the Bergen Record newspaper for 35 years. I mean, I realized the newspaper was a business, too, and there was advertising and all that, and but not once did any boss ever say, hey, John, on, let's dial it back a little here or why don't you write something nice about this company you know i mean mm-hmm. I, I never was and I'm still not interested in operating that way and i believe listeners and readers understand that now not everyone at vison presumably came up to the ranks that way right so regardless though in the end all you have is your credibility in this business and i'm cautiously optimistic that draft kings is smart enough not to mess with a good thing and if they're not already you can see that they're going to get called on it i mean the uh, that group of uh, followers and, and customers is pretty damn savvy. So if all of a sudden everything is all about DraftKings and, you know, maybe there's a, uh, a controversy and suddenly somehow it doesn't get mentioned there, you know, their customers are going to notice that. So I, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, DraftKings would make a mistake like that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch and see exactly how that all goes. I mean, if DraftKings truly grants them editorial independence and and VEASAN is quoting lines from all bookmakers, great. But I I have a hard time believing that broadcasters on a network owned by DraftKings will be telling you about the price you can get placing a bet at FanDuel specifically. That that just seems like one that uh, there's going to be some some pressure there, I would think. Uh, I, you know, they might use some lines from some of the big land-based books in Vegas, you know, I, the Superbook, William Hill, etc., FanDuel is the one I'm very curious to see if uh, if we hear that word FanDuel mentioned a lot less on VEASAN than we have in the past. Um, 
but that said, you know, I personally wouldn't cancel my subscription over it. Uh, if yeah. the content is good, if you find the conversations interesting, I don't think it's necessarily the end of the world. If, if you do end up only ever hearing DraftKings' numbers, you know, that's not ideal. But as long as the conflict of interest is known, if I like the on-air personalities and the format of the shows, I would think I can continue listening. But I'm sure there are plenty of people out there like Captain Jack who like to know that their gambling media is capable of praising and criticizing every operator in the sports betting space in equal measure. And um, yeah, I, I, I just find it hard to believe that VEASAN would totally fit that description anymore, no matter how hard the broadcasters try. Um, I lived through a situation somewhat like this uh, after I left the Ring magazine full time, but I still freelanced for them the magazine was bought by Golden Boy Promotions, one of the biggest promoters in the sport of boxing. A lot of people thought, well, there goes the editorial independence. Uh, the new owners insisted the magazine would remain in what they called an editorial trust. But slowly but surely, pressures were applied to put this fighter or that fighter on the cover of the magazine. My old boss there resisted. And within a few years, Golden Boy gutted the editorial staff and replaced them with people who would do whatever they asked. So I'd say watch for that with VEASAN. If the on-air hosts start dropping and getting replaced, then it's really over. Yeah, well, I, I think that if if you're watching a show like that, first first of all, partly it's entertainment. Then also, mm -hmm. you know, the idea is what, uh, you know, what's interesting about this game or what kind of long shot is going like whatever it is. And then um, if they even if they only give you the DraftKings number, that gives you a, a baseline. I mean, right. the DraftKings is not going to be twenty one while somebody else is eighty to one or three to one. I mean, you're pretty much in the in the very close ballpark. So. Um, uh, whether it's DraftKings or anybody else's number, you're getting a baseline. And then, you know, obviously Savvy Better has got quite a few books to, to compare with and get the best shop to get the best price. So I, I think, you know, all of that discussion about games and trends and all that, that all is the same, whether you're only mentioning DraftKings or not. And, and I don't think, frankly, a lot of the audience is sitting there saying, you know, oh, they told me to bet DraftKings. I'll bet DraftKings. I mean, they're, they're going to bet the best price if they're, if they're that savvy. And if they're so casual, it's not even going to mean anything to them. They're just watching for fun, really. So, uh, yeah, like I say, cautiously optimistic is the way I look at this. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, all right. For our second story, we go to Georgia, where optimism has been fairly high over the last several months about the potential for sports betting to become legal. But it appears it's time to stop being optimistic and shift into wait till 2022 mode. Uh, earlier this year, the Georgia House and Senate moved sports betting bills forward, although the details needed to be negotiated to get both chambers on the same page. Uh, but still, it was looking good. And then all the progress stopped when the legislature's session ended Wednesday and the bills were held up because of the admittedly more important, highly controversial voting rights bill in the state. According to Sports Handle, that bill, supported by Republicans and opposed by Democrats, is causing the latter to withhold votes on other bills, including the sports betting legislation. So hopes for 2021 are, according to Sports Handle's source, dead. That said, with a ballot referendum a possibility all along for Georgia, this might not impact sports betting legalization's timing as a referendum okayed now wouldn't land on the ballot until November 2022 anyway. Uh, John, any surprise that 2021 Georgia hopes seem to have gone down in flames this way? And should we at least be optimistic for 2022? 
Uh, I mean, this is sort of a cautionary tale for backers of legal gaming expansion in any state, really. Uh, that topic is a mid-sized fish in a shark tank, and which is why so many of these bills keep getting eaten. Something bigger and fiercer can always come along, as happened in Georgia. I think the same is happening in New York with mobile sports betting, although last rights haven't quite yet been performed on the bills at the moment. Uh, as soon as I noticed that Governor Cuomo's staff spent all weekend focusing on legalizing marijuana, it struck me that that's something that, A, is of more interest to Cuomo, and B, could serve as the political hammer declare that you know the litany of women who've been objecting to his um aggressive social style shall we say mm-hmm. you know hasn't stopped him from governing so i mean you could almost say that sports betting's dreams went up in smoke once pot took center stage in fact yeah, yeah, yeah i like that one huh? <laughs> and as for georgia next year is a long time i mean but more importantly if there's time to kick a can down the road it usually gets kicked in politics yeah, um, it was interesting that when we had uh, David Payne Purdom on a few weeks ago, I mean, he lives in Georgia, has his finger on the pulse pretty well, and he didn't sound super optimistic about Georgia legalizing this year. He actually said that he believed New York had a better chance. Uh, we might go 0 for 2 on those, but uh, you know, him saying that helped temper my Georgia enthusiasm a bit. So I wasn't caught off guard by this news, and of course, I've been keeping a close eye on the voting rights news in Georgia, so I was well aware that sports betting was not the most significant significant initiative they were dealing with there. Um, But I I don't see any reason not to feel pretty good about 2022. Uh, Sports betting has support in both chambers. There are details to be ironed out, like how to handle wagering on college sports, for example. It might be a good thing to give everyone time to work it out instead of rushing to pass something. And of course, in the meantime, sports betting nationally will keep getting more momentum. Uh, You know, if 2022 begins and Connecticut has sports betting, Ohio has sports betting, Wyoming has sports betting, all of those are possible. Uh, Georgia is that much more likely to get it done, I think, if, if we're well past the halfway point in terms of the number of states with legal sports betting, gives Georgia that extra little bit of nudge next year. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you notice even in the debate now, as opposed to even five or 10 years ago, you know, in the South, culturally gambling has been opposed, you know, on many levels. And that is sort of fading away to the point where now this year, I haven't, I didn't notice any, you know, uh, elected officials saying this is going to be the, you know, the ruin of our, of our culture and, and our, our youth and all that. And, you know, I mean, you don't see that kind of alarmism that you used to see. So um, with that out of the way, it gives it a fighting chance. That's why, as you say, it's going to happen. I mean, outside of maybe Utah and Hawaii, you know, it's all inevitable. Yep. All right. Well, staying in the South where those attitudes have changed, uh, our final story this week is a follow-up on a story from last week. Uh, We go to Tennessee. Uh, We talked about the Tennessee mobile sports book action I, I, last week I called it Action Two Four Seven. I'm questioning. I should should I be saying Action Twenty Four Seven? Do you have a Do you have a take on what the uh, correct uh, uh, verbalization of that name is, John? Well, if they don't have a slash in their name, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. All right, I'll I'll, I'll stay consistent with last week and call it Action Two Four Seven for now, and uh, <laughs> potentially reverse course at some point down the road. So uh, we talked about them having their license suspended for alleged credit card fraud, money laundering, and illegal proxy betting. And as far as getting unsuspended, John and I both said last week that the correct approach is guilty until proven innocent. They can't take bets until they prove the operation is clean. Well, so much for what we think. Uh, Action 247 sued to get the injunction lifted. And this past Friday, the sportsbook won in court as Chancellor Patricia Head Moscow called the Tennessee Lottery's decision to suspend the license erroneous or arbitrary and capricious, and essentially determined that the lottery rushed to suspend 
without following the proper protocols, making their decision to suspend the license without giving Action 247 a hearing. So now Action 247 is back up and running. And it doesn't take a legal genius to recognize that the operator has an opportunity to sue the Tennessee lottery here for costing them money by shutting down the sports book during several key betting days of March Madness. Uh, John, thoughts on the court ruling in Action 247's favor and guesses on what happens with the license from here and whether this will prove financially costly for the lottery. Well, I'm glad we're following up on this, actually, because if we're going to put a spotlight on something negative and it takes a turn, you know, we shouldn't just ignore it. There's an ancient creed of sports writing at the top level that says, if you write a column and rip a player or a coach or a manager, you damn well better show up the next day, even if it's your day off, to face the potential music. Um, this isn't quite at that level, but still, I'm glad we're mentioning it. Um, yeah, sure, if they had a legal right to operate in that time span and were improperly prevented from doing so, it seems like damages are a reasonable ask, regardless of the wisdom of some of the decision making that had been made. You know, not everything that might be dicey as illegal, for instance. Uh, all that said, it might be a rather temporary victory. Uh, this is about a lapse in procedure, not a get-out-of-jail-free card. The charges remain a sticky wicket, potentially. Yeah, I mean, I get why the court ruled in Action 247's favor, but, uh, you know, it's always frustrating to me when someone gets off on a technicality, you know, a criminal walks because of shoddy police work. This is still a mobile sports book that very much appears to be vulnerable to being used for money laundering purposes. Um, so it, it's worrisome to have them taking bets again. Uh, and so I just have to hope that until some more permanent decision is rendered, that in the meantime, them being under the microscope right now will mean that they're being careful and following all laws and there's no proxy betting or anything like that going on right now. I, I can hope that's the case. I have no idea if it actually is. I will say that I don't think this is going to end up being too financially costly for the lottery uh, just because Action 247 had less than 1% market share in Tennessee. So whereas 10 days or so of being shut down during March Madness could arguably cost a DraftKings or a BetMGM or one of those companies in Tennessee several million dollars, I would think for Action 247, it's more like tens of thousands of dollars, um, you know, even with the argument that this sullied actions reputation and that they'll suffer financially from that. It's hard to see them successfully suing the lottery for millions of dollars. I would think it would be a more modest sum that they're going to potentially be able to claim uh, when, when all is said and done. Right. It, it's a little reminiscent of the New Jersey horse racing uh, issue, isn't it? Going right. back to 2014, where uh, they were prevented from offering something they should have been able to prevent for four weeks and the 3.4 million. Um, of course, they sued for a lot more than that because they were prevented for years, not weeks. But um, that's what it basically came down to in the time frame. You know, how much would you have lost? And that's what was kind of figured out. And that's what will happen here. So but as I say, that that's uh, it seems like a fair ruling based on the the uh, protocols. But uh, by no means does it mean, oh, there's nothing to see her at all move it along right yep uh, we may have more follow-ups to our follow-up on this story as as the news continues to mm. develop Indeed. it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview the great rogers hornsby once said People ask me what I do in the winter when there's no baseball. I'll tell you what I do. I stare out the window and wait for spring. Well, the time for staring out the window is over because it's spring and it's baseball season, and that means it's baseball betting season. Joining us now to share his insights on the season ahead and how to approach wagering on it is VegasInsider.com editorial production manager Tom Cunningham. Tom, welcome to Gamble On. 
Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So uh, before we get into any specific teams and players, I want to get your thoughts on MLB admitting that they're making modifications to the balls being used this season. They're, quote, deadening them slightly, making a long drive travel an estimated one or two feet less far than it did last season. Is this significant enough to impact how you're betting on the 2021 season? Will you be betting more game total unders to open the season and placing futures bets on home run unders, RBI unders, things like that? Well, the futures bet, uh, I think, is a little interesting because certain players are not going to be you know, hitting for the fences every single time anymore. But you have players like Joey Gallo, for instance. He is home runner bust, so I don't think that will impact his future market too much you know if you still like Joey Gallo to hit a ton of home runs I don't think the ball changing is going to impact that much also you're you know we're in a point of baseball where you're seeing teams shift an entire infield to one side because batters are simply taught now uh, launch angle is very important so everyone's basically swinging for the fences uh, live or die basically so I'm not seeing too much small ball uh, in MLB right now so I really don't think the, you know, the ball changing is going to impact it too much. You're still going to have guys swinging for the fences regardless. You're still going to see the infield shifting because of that. Um, it just really depends on, on different players. I think someone with less power, maybe a Jose Altuve, uh, that might impact his home run or RBI market a little bit more than someone like just mentioned Joey Gallo. Uh, so I really do think it depends on the player. But the style that the game has been lately is swing for the fences or uh, strike out. So I wouldn't think it impacts it too much uh, in that regard. And then in terms of, you know, game totals, that really to me comes down to the pitcher. And that's a, that's an interesting market too, because you want to get trends. You know, it's, it's very difficult to know outside of the top names like Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, which pitchers are going to have a low ERA or a high ERA throughout the season. So I like to wait a week or so, let some pitchers get a few games under their belt and then really look at the pitching matchup. Uh, if I'm looking at game totals and run totals, because I like to see, you know, if a pitcher has a high ERA versus a pitcher with a low ERA uh, or two pitchers with high ERAs facing each other, then I'll typically go over the the run total. So those are things I tend to look for more so than the uh, than the ball deadening. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because it's not juiced anymore. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But I don't think the numbers will change significantly. Okay, and and this isn't really relevant to uh, to the, to the betting at all. But as long as you brought up the the infield shift uh, and and the way that that changes the game, that happens to be a pretty big pet peeve for me as an old school baseball guy. I would love to see them ban the shift, make it a rule that you have to have two infielders on each side of second base to to start the at bat. Uh, do you do you have a, a an opinion on that? Uh, and would would that change the game for the better from an entertainment standpoint if they were to ban the infield shift in your view? I don't know from betting how much that would change. Maybe live in-game betting um, that might impact it somewhat. When you see an infield shift over to one side, that might sway you uh, to make a live bet with the at-bat that's going on. Uh, in ter- but it's very difficult to know, you know how many times a team is going to shift in the infield before a game starts. So that's a little difficult from a betting standpoint. Personally, I really don't have a problem with the shift. I don't really have a problem if they if they ban the shift either. I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty even keel uh, person, so uh, you know I'm I'm along for the ride with whatever they want to do. But if the rule is set where there is no infield shift ban, you know I'm with Harold Reynolds. I hear him preach this all the time on MLB Network. Just hit to where they're not. And I know it sounds I mean it's a lot harder than it sounds, obviously. But 
you know, you could bunt down third base if the, if the third baseman is, you know, hovering over second base. Right. So again, it comes down to what these coaches are teaching these kids, which is, you know, just swing for the fences and, and all that launch angle. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that uh, kind of where the, the, the game is going per se. Um, but in terms of the shift, I'm cool with, I'm cool with whatever they want to do. Okay. <laughs> Eric, congratulations to joining the land of curmudgeons. Uh, I'll get you a uh, get off my lawn bumper sticker. I'll send it right up. You're Thank right. you. <laughs> You're there. I happen to agree with you because I am a curmudgeon, but at any rate, uh, we're talking about over, I, I'm thinking over on Dodgers, which is anywhere one Oh two and a half wins and up. Uh, I got them at under 104 and a half right up to Trevor Bauer sign. And uh, as far as, I know no team that has projected over a hundred something wins has, has topped the total. And so I'm curious, first of all, the Dodgers, I, as many starting pitchers as they have, I don't believe any of them other than maybe one is going to throw more than 170 innings. And so uh, they do have a lot of options, but I, I don't think they're going to hold up to 162 game season. And I don't, I don't buy the Padres stock as much as some people do, but they are good and they do play each other about 19 times. So uh, first I want to ask, how do you like the Dodgers over under then also have you, and would you ever bet on any team to go over a hundred something wins? Oh, wow. Well, a hundred is a lot. And if there was a team that could do it, it would be the Dodgers. They are clearly the best team in baseball, at least in my opinion, uh, the best team in baseball. 104 and a half. I've seen, I've seen 102 and a half. So obviously you want to shop for the best odds if, if you are thinking of going over with the Dodgers. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. But personally, I will not be betting that. <laughs> uh, that's just too many wins for me. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the Padres. They are going to be somewhat competitive. The pitching staff is way better. I really thought they took a step in the right direction. I hate when managers get canned, but, you know, leaving AJ or Andy Green, that was a good move, I thought, and they really improved from there with the roster uh, signings they've had. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres compete with them well in that division. I do think the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, and the Giants are slightly better than advertised, and they do compete well in their home venues for various reasons. I think we all know why Colorado, because everyone crushes the ball there. But I do feel that if there is a team you had conviction in going over 100 games for, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the Dodgers. I personally will not be betting that, though. I actually liked uh, – I saw Miami was uh, about like 70 and a half, 71 and a half. I don't hate that right now um, in terms of kind of the bottom feeders of the league. But uh, I have no issue if you want to take the Dodgers. I just won't be touching that personally. Um, all right, let's talk about some of the individual stuff, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll focus on uh, the MVP races. Uh, as usual, Mike Trout is a clear favorite for AL MVP, uh, although he's actually as high as plus 225, which is a better return than you've been able to get on him in recent seasons when he's been more like plus 125 or plus 150. Uh, but the, the NL MVP is the one that's much more wide open. You have Betts as high as plus 800, Soto 850, Tatis 900, Acuna 1000, Bellinger uh, plus 1200. Do any of those strike you, Tom, as good value, or, or would you rather go further down the list and find a real long shot? Well, I'd like to know what Nolan Arenado's odds are, because I do feel like the only thing holding him back from an MVP award is basically the team he was on, uh, because defensively, the guy should have an MVP award just based on his defense alone, in my opinion, and then you add 40 home runs that he hits. If he can pull that off, not in Colorado, I think it'll turn a lot more heads, especially if St. Louis makes the playoffs, which, I mean, quite frankly, I think we all believe they are a playoff team entering most seasons. Uh, so I would look at Nolan Arenado's odds. 
They are not even in the top five for most part, so you'll probably get good value for him. One name I would like to avoid is Juan Soto. I know it's very easy to fall in love with him. He's a young, great talent, has tons of potential. Uh, it's just weird to see his name with the Mookie Betts, the uh, Ronald Cunha's, Fernando Tatis, you know, just because of the situation he's in with Washington. It's going to be very tough for him to pull off 162-game season with MVP caliber numbers when you're competing against the likes of a Mookie Betts, a Fernando Tatis, a Ronald Acuna. But I do like Cody Bellinger at 1,200. Um, this is a guy who's been an anchor in the lineup of the best lineup in baseball, in my opinion, for a few years now. So in terms of my confidence and consistency, I think Cody Bellinger at 1,200 provides great value for where he is in the lineup, the team he's on, and just what he has proven throughout his career. Uh, a little bit of a little bit of speed with that massive power he has. So uh, he might see a lot of good extra bases hit, base hits. He's going to hit a ton of home runs typically. Um, and yeah, I, I really like Cody Bellinger where he is in that lineup and what he's been able to produce in, uh, in his career. Okay. And for what it's worth, I looked up uh, Arenado. Yeah. Seems like he's right around that 1200, about the same ballpark as, as Bellinger. So, uh, so at, at that, at that price though, you think he's pretty good value? Yeah, absolutely. Four digits. I'll take Nolan Arenado for that. Okay. Uh, yeah, and speaking as someone who can remember Lou Brock stealing more than 100 bases in one season in the 1970s, <laughs> I'm sort of appalled by the lack of steals nowadays. It's, uh, it's frustrating, but uh, it makes for an interesting uh, who steals the most bases kind of pool. I see um, uh, Adalberto Mondesi of the Royals at minus 130, Trey Turner plus 470, and Ronald Acuna Jr. at plus 600. Uh, but the only 2020 players who had half of Mondesi's total of 24 were Trevor Story, 15. I don't think he's a contender. And Jonathan VR, 13, who doesn't even have a starting role with the Mets this year. So outside of Story, though, those other four, they all stole 35 to 43 in 2019. So that makes it seem awfully competitive. So, you know, should we be looking at 2020 when Mondesi dominated or 2019 when all four of these guys that are in there, you know, seem to be about equal and yet – uh, Mondesi is now uh, having much different odds than the other three. Well, yeah, Mondesi, I mean, the, the total bases he had stolen last year was, I mean, when you looked at him in second place, it was such a separation. Um, yeah. So, if you, you know, if you, if you feel cozy taking that, you know, for now, minus 130 is cheap enough for how dominant he was in that specific market. I think that's fine. Personally, I, I, I like Trey Turner at 470. I think he's really one of the only players who has the same speed that can match Mondesi. What the Nationals ask of Trey Turner this year, though, is going to depend a lot on what he does on the base paths. But I would be shocked if Washington said, you know what, Trey, let's hold off on the base path. So, like, the guy is a, is a stolen base machine. So, you know, for plus 470 and what Trey Turner does, I think that's a great bet to take uh, in terms of a long shot pick. Um, and then you have the kid in uh, Minnesota in the outfield is at Buxton. Again, it comes down to what they ask of him. And it seems like Minnesota is asking for him to be a little bit more powerful in his swing. So of the two, I think Trey Turner would provide just more realistic, a realistic chance of dethroning Mondesi. But, uh, you know, with the Royals, they seem pretty set with his role there. So it's going to take a lot for someone to dethrone his stolen base uh, dominance. But I think if anyone could do it, it would be Trey Turner. But keep in mind, Trey Turner does get hurt quite often. Um, Ronald Cunha, I don't really like particularly because again, they're asking him to be more of a power hitter. Just what his role is on that team is not necessarily get on base, get stolen bases type of threat. Um, I, he has more leadoff home runs than anyone I can remember, uh, in recent at bats. So I would, I would typically lean Mondesi, but, uh, if you're feeling froggy and you like that plus 470, I think Trey Turner is a fine pick as well. 
Well, reporting here from Curmudgeon Corner, it all kind of goes together with if, if you ban the shift, we'll get more guys on base and then they can steal the base and entertain you, John. It's all it's all that that old school game that we remember rather than this uh, three true outcomes, as they call it, that. uh yeah, well, I, I should say, as long as the Phillies are winning, I guess I don't really care uh, if they're if it's all home runs, strikeouts, and walks. But uh, I'm not expecting a ton of Phillies wins this year. Will you have a problem if they switch the uh, DH rule to the NL? Will I? Um, I am generally anti-DH. Um, I, I like the idea of uh, the manager having to figure out what to do with the pitcher and when to pull him and all that. But I'm kind of resigned to the fact that whether it's coming this year permanently or not, it's coming soon. I, I think my, my days without a DH are numbered. What's your stance, John, on the, on the DH? Uh, do you care? Well, yeah, I mean, I go back to, I remember before the uh, DH came in in 1973. So that was just such a weird sort of desperate attempt. It felt like by the American league, like, Oh, you, you don't have your act together. So you put this gimmick in. I mean, it seems so silly, but uh, Eric, I'm pretty much with you that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the battle was fought for so many years. We held it off, you know, <laughs> the barbarians at the gate we held them off for so long. And now at this point, you know, and as far as I'm a Mets fan, so, you know, uh, DeGrom and some of the other Mets pitchers are better than the hitters on most of, pitchers on most other teams to hit. Right. But on the other hand, they've got Dom Smith and Pete Alonso. So, uh, yeah, if they, if they bring in next year, I, uh, my, my uh, will to fight on this is over. We, uh, <laughs> we had a good run. This is the way I look at it. <laughs> right. Well, Tom, uh, as a, Given your uh, sort of lack of a strong stance on the uh, on the infield shift, can I can I assume that you have no problem with the, the universal DH taking over either? Yeah, because I mean, I see both sides, you know, I like the whole manager having a strategy to work out. I, I'm that's why I'm a big proponent of, of, you know, doing what MLB wants, because I then I think the manager will have to adjust to whatever the rule is, regardless of what it is. Um, but I do think I'm with you. There's more strategy involved when the pitcher is in the lineup. Do I take him out? Do I leave him in? Um, there's just more thought process there. However, I, you know, I've worked in media. I've worked as I've been a player before as an athlete. So I do understand the DH and it helps longevity for some players careers. So like, you know, the soft spot of me is like, okay, the DH is fine. I don't have an issue with that, but, but the, but the nerd in me, <laughs> the nerd in me <laughs> would rather see the pitcher in the lineup. So I just, I just see both sides, I guess. I don't right. Know. Well, we have to find out if there's a market somewhere for whether we can bet whether when and when when exactly the DH uh, becomes a permanent fixture in the National League. But, uh, yeah, I think I I think the over the over under the line is uh, what do you what do you think, John? We're down to maybe a year or two at best uh, before before it's going to it's going to be in place next year. No, no question. There's not there's no need for odds. It's going to happen. It is what it is. And you got to make your piece. I I think I have more of an issue with Kevin Cash relying on analytics in the World Series than uh, (laughs) than I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Right. That's a whole nother can of worms. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been a great stuff. A reminder to our readers that you can find Tom's work at VegasInsiders.com. Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, good luck with any wagers this baseball season. Oh, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. It was another mixed bag week for our bankroll, and I'll start with my one result, which proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the way to do well betting on college basketball is to know nothing about college basketball. Uh, After a small win the previous week with my 12 seed bets and a big win with Oral Roberts at 12 to 1, 
my Baylor minus six and a half pick versus Villanova won us a hundred dollars. Uh, I thought we were dead at halftime, but Baylor rallied and ultimately pulled away. Uh, unfortunately, John's bets weren't as lucky. The Florida State money line bet cost us $100, as did Wallace over Westwood in their golf matchup. On the bright side, John's pick of Gonzaga to win it all two weeks ago at plus 205 is now two-thirds of the way home. So hopefully next week we'll have that nice win to add to our bankroll. But for the moment, we are $100 below where we were a week ago. That means we're now minus $961. Plus, we have $1,804 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $7,235 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Uh, yeah, I'm going to skip this week's Texas classic open quotes, close quotes, uh, golf to look ahead to the Masters a week from now. Hmm. Um, I'm going to try pro better Rufus Peabody's advice on our podcast, uh, uh, signing up like a foursome for potentially big payouts. Uh, you know, at, at certain odds, you can obviously pick more than one person to win uh, an event. So mm-hmm. 25 on a much revived Jordan Spieth at plus 1400 to don another green jacket at Augusta. And then three criminally underrated picks, I think. Uh, 20 on Scotty Scheffler, who just below the radar has all the pedigree in the world for breakthrough at plus 6,600. Uh, and then 10 on both Abraham answer and Cameron Smith, who last year became the only player ever to break 70 in all four rounds, which only got him a share of the runner up check to Dustin Johnson. But um, he's again, just under the radar. So they're both at plus 8,000. So, 10 on each of them, 20 on Scheffler at plus 6,600 and 25 on Spieth at plus 1,400. All right. Sounds like a fun way to spread, spread a little bit of cash around there. Um, I have, I'll, be, I'll be frustrated if I don't have at least a single dog in the hunt on that final Sunday. I think that's what I liked about Rufus's advice. I mean, these are four good players, 85 or so players in the Masters, maybe 50 of a chance to get 10. I've got four pretty good ones. If none of them are within five shots of the lead on Sunday, I got <laughs> did something wrong. Right. All right. And yeah, you could in, in, in a real life scenario, uh, if you have these four and one of them yeah. is, you know, among the two in the hunt at the end, you can then you have a chance to hedge a bit also and take take the other guy in the hunt but uh okay hopefully we'll at least get a sweat out of it and uh yeah it would be pretty pretty nice profit if one of these hits i have these in real life too so yeah i'll be hedging i figured you would uh all right i have uh two opening day baseball bets here uh first the orioles have one reliable starting pitcher john means he's out there today thursday at fenway against a red sox team that already had to shake up their rotation because their planned opening day starter eduardo rodriguez was struggling with a so-called dead arm uh we can get the orioles at plus 155 on the money line at caesars so let's bet 60 dollars to win 93 dollars on the mild upset to start the season uh, that's a 210 Eastern start. And at the same time, we have the Twins at Brewers. Very good pitching matchup. Uh, Kenta Maeda for the Twins against Brandon Woodruff for Milwaukee. We can get under seven and a half runs at some friendly minus 105 juice at Fox Bet. So let's bet $84 to win $80 on Twins Brewers under seven and a half runs. All right. Now I'm channeling this week's guest, Tom Cunningham. Uh, we taped the spot just before news of the Adalberto Mondesi injury that put him on the IL. But the takeaway for me anyway in that spot was that the 2020 stolen base king target is Trey Turner of the Nationals. I like the logic walk through all the way to get there, too. So your odds aren't as long as yesterday, but I got Turner at plus 450 on DraftKings, even after the Mondesi news. So uh, 50 on that one at plus 450. And I'll be net positive for next week's recap after Gonzaga cuts down the nets. <laughs> 
Gonzaga. Yes, indeed. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. We could use that. That would be a nice $205 win for our bankroll if that happens. Uh, so for the final bet this week, I'm looking at uh, boxing. There's a good match uh, at Caesars Palace Dubai on Saturday, uh, airing on ESPN Plus in the 130-pound division. Solid veterans Jamel Herring, former U.S. Olympian and former Marine, versus Irish ex-champ Carl Frampton. Tough fight to call. And that's fine. I'm not making a call. I'm just predicting a distance fight. Uh, Herring has just 10 knockouts among his 22 wins, and most of those were early in his career when he was fighting weak opposition. And Frampton has gone the distance in eight of his last 10. Neither of these guys are heavy punchers. Neither of them is easy to knock out. This is going the full 12. There's a minus 250 price on that at Fox Bet, uh, but that's better than the minus 335 price that I saw at the Canby powered sports books. So we'll take the minus 250 and risk $125 to win 50 bucks on this one going 12 rounds. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Tom Cunningham. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. I got to say, your uh, talk about going the distance is quite the foreshadowing, as you're about to find out. Um, you know, given our recent banter in a couple of episodes about uh, movies, neither you nor the audience would expect me to be recommending one, right? But And it is about gambling, almost. Uh, is it weird now that Major League Baseball spent six years fighting that New Jersey effort to open legal sports betting to everyone, yet they're holding a regular season game in Iowa in a cornfield this August, <laughs> celebrating a movie that favorably portrayed a 100-year-old gambling scandal? Uh, of course it is, but it's 2021. Uh, and that said, spring is about sprung here in the Northeast. And the past month, I've ditched a walker and two types of canes for my sprained knee ligaments, as if I was Forrest Gump getting chased down a country road by young bullies. <laughs> and I've gotten a vaccine shot and baseball's finally here. So last night, I settled in to watch Field of Dreams. Yep, again. You know, for a time, I was somewhat on the side of those who pointed out historical inaccuracies about the Black Sox, about how Ray Liotta batted the wrong way, if he's supposed to be Shula Shul- Jackson, and so on. But uh, as I started catching small blocks of it over the winter, it's on MLB Network ad infinitum, you know, while channel surfing, something started to click. And I guess to put it simply, I just, I surrendered. I, I wish everybody <laughs> would. I mean, it, it's, the whole movie is magic which for some reason we have a tendency to want to fight. And, and I, I say, don't do that. You know, of course we won't mind. If you look around, you'll say it's only $20 per person and they'll pass over the money without even thinking about it for it is money. They have and peace. They lack. And they'll walk off to the bleachers and sit in their short sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick. They'll have to brush them away from their faces. And the one constant through all the years has been baseball, this field, this game, a part of our past reminds us of all that was once good and that could be again and with that and especially with apologies to james earl jones until next time gamble on everybody but legally don't forget the lesson of poor shoeless jones